My scientific training has given me this skepticism and this background of that may be true, but let's test it. In some ways, if you apply that to my life, it was a shock to me when my first wife and I split up, and a lot of it was through my social failings. And it was like, hey, this is a wake-up call. Something's got to change here. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We are the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Our featured interview is with Michael Dunn in Wellington, New Zealand. Highly regarded for advising governments across all areas of public finance and economics, he helps build forecasting models for government revenues. Superbly analytical in his thinking and personality, he has learned and is still learning to develop his ability to navigate the social environments where analysis is sometimes a barrier. I think you're going to enjoy this one. In our Guru Talk, we listen in on a webinar classroom co-led by myself and co-founder Kirkland Tibbles, where we address how we sometimes think we'll look weak if we ask for help. Here's the interview. The first thing I want to do, Michael, is a little bit about you. I'm from New Zealand. I was born in Christchurch. I spent the first 24 years of my life there where I was at school and university. And in fact, by the time I left and went overseas, I had a PhD in physical chemistry. And I was entering into the research world, pursuing a career in scientific research, which I did in Canada and in the UK for the next six or seven years. I was married. I had two children. I was married to a New Zealander. And uh, we wanted to come back to New Zealand to bring our children up here because this is the best country in the world in which to bring up children. New Zealand is very much in my blood, even though at least 20 years of my life I've lived and worked in other countries. Tell us a little bit about your offer, what you do, and where you do it. I'm an expert in what we call public finance. That's the financing of governments and both the management of their revenue raising and the budget and spending. And of course, the very important thing, the balance between the two, what we call the fiscal balance, managing debt and financing the government over long periods of time. My real core area of expertise, because I'm a highly numerate, number-crunching sort of person, is that I can build forecasting models for revenues, analytical models, what we call macroeconometric models, to test aspects of the economy, to model that and use them to project forward a consistent set of how government's policies might translate into financial situation. And are you able to say which countries that you do this work for? Currently, I'm doing some work for the Ministry of Finance in Ghana. I'll be visiting there later this month. But I have worked in former Soviet republics of Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Tajikistan, where I met my present wife. And between times, Kosovo, when it was a newly emerging state, and Afghanistan, 2004 and 2011. 
and then about five years in Iraq. In each case, working for both the British and for the Americans. The term that you use is governmental finance. Is that the correct term or did you use another term? I use the word public finance, which most people understand as being government finance. But my expertise is more in the analytical modeling side. And did you get into this mostly because you started to develop these models and saw a place to offer these models? Or briefly, what was it that sort of connected you with government financing? I'm a serial careerist. As I outlined at the start, I spent about 12 years in scientific research, which was highly analytical. And I then worked for about 12 years in a range of operational and commercial roles for shell companies around the world, ending up in Shell Australia, where I was a risk manager and doing a lot of financial modeling. And then I wanted to come back to New Zealand because at that stage uh, I was divorced and my children were still living in New Zealand. And I wanted an opportunity to spend some time with them before they went off to university. I uh, took a job with the Revenue Department in New Zealand, the what we call Inland Revenue. You have the IRS, we have the IRD. I was uh, heading up their forecasting department there in the Policy Advice Division. And through that, I attended a number of international conferences and during that time got to know people who were practicing this in other countries, most notably um, Australia, the UK, Canada and the US. I received an invitation from a firm to consider a project in a small country called Kyrgyzstan, which uh, when I opened my atlas and found in the crack in the fold of the page of Central Asia, there's a little <laughs> mountainous country which uh, had uh, not so many people and a lot of sheep. And I thought, I know a little bit about countries like that because that was New Zealand at the time. So I said, well, yeah, let, let me try that. So I went there for... That's great. Yeah, that's where, how I started, really. Well, that's how I got familiar with it, too, because I, I remember looking at some statistics on my end and seeing someone was participating in places. I, I could not figure out where this was. I'd never heard of this, and I had to go online and look and see. And I think I found out right away it was you from time to time. You'll be on one of our webinars, and I'll check in and find out you're in uh, some place I may never have heard of before. At that time, I was in Tajikistan, and that was about two years ago when I was doing FOT, and uh, I found that an extremely useful program. Well, that's what I want to get into. Yeah, I, I want to find out a little bit about what attracted you to, to fundamentals, because you and I have now known each other for about three, three years, years or so, perhaps. I think so, yes. And you're, you're an extraordinarily smart man. You've got some major accountabilities in the world and, and so forth. So what was it, Michael, that attracted you to influence ecology and what we teach? Well, first of all, when Drew got in contact with me, I was just finishing up with the New Zealand Institute for Economic Research. I had come back to New Zealand after a period of time in Tajikistan on one project, and I'd accepted this position of principal economist which I really enjoyed, but the challenge I had was the number of connections I had in New Zealand and the opportunities I had to market my services were somewhat limited. I was good at finding new work in areas where other people didn't have skills, but there were a lot of other people canvassing the same areas as I was, and I just saw that this is just not a healthy environment to stay in long term. So I was just completing there, and I was setting myself up to... I have a company called Economic and Fiscal Consulting Limited, which is a bit of a mouthful, so I just call it EcoFisc. And it just seemed to me that here was an opportunity to step back in a structured program, take a look at what was important to me in life and particularly uh, what what I needed to succeed in a, in a business myself. And 
somewhat naively, I thought, well, I can set this up and can have this one-person business and it's going to run wonderfully well. One of the things I discovered through FOT, of course, was that we really do need to draw upon a range of personalities, what we call personality types, in order to build a successful enterprise. And uh, one person ain't going to have all of them. That is right. I love one of the notes that you have, which is about your strengths and weaknesses, which is your intelligence. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say all this this way. So you're a smart guy. You analyze everything to death, as you say in your notes. And you talk a little bit about your social skills. You, you claim that your social skills are less developed, but you're improving over time. And I want to know a little bit about what you've learned about yourself. Since at Influence Ecology, we promised to hold up a mirror to your personality and transactional behavior. What have you learned about yourself as a business person or just as a human being as you've participated here, what have you learned? And and I ask because whatever you've learned may, again, be beneficial to other people who find themselves similar to you in some way, shape, or form. So what have you learned about yourself as a human being studying here with Influence Ecology? One thing I've learned is that, however bright or clever I am, that it's important not to jump straight from the idea to the action. There's a a series of steps in between which are absolutely vitally important in order to take an idea, take a, a new insight or when considering a, a new approach or request from somebody else to explore how that can work in practice, to look at the resources available, to, to plan, to look at ways in which they can be deployed and, and applied. And particularly, is this a good use of my time? Does this draw upon my skills? Or will I be doing something which I hate doing so that, I mean, I can maximize the value I offer or I add to an enterprise or somebody else's business or indeed to a client through using my expertise rather than through being just another body, just somebody else who makes up numbers. Sure. So I have to be wary of uh, approaches from people who are just looking for someone that fits what they want, but doesn't particularly well fit what I know I can offer. It sounds like you may have found yourself declining things that in the past you may have accepted or perhaps declining things where you may have jumped from idea to action. Is that the case that you find yourself declining more things and taking care of you more often? I ask more questions now. I think it's important to find out more of the, the facts, the circumstances, the situation, what it is that other people are asking, or indeed when I see an opportunity that I'm going to explore proactively, just more about it, more about the background, who the people are, what what the expectations are, and then uh, also it's very important to look at, because um, a lot of this work's done internationally, what are the conditions, what is the situation in the country where the proposed work will take place. There are times when I can say, when I will say yes quite quickly, and then afterwards find that well, this it either works wonderfully well or it doesn't. So last year, I was actually at the annual member conference when I was approached to take a role in Morocco, which was as a team leader for a project which had um, finance as part of it, but it was an inquiry into the effectiveness of government support for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of money and subsidies and tax concessions and so on. So I had expertise that was relevant. 
but it, it turned out that the way the project was resourced and the amount of funding available, that it was difficult to achieve the results we needed within the time available. I wasn't aware of that, you know, of all that. Of course, when I said, yes, okay, I'll, I'll step in and help you out. I think within a week of getting back to New Zealand, I was on a plane to Morocco. So it was a pretty fast turnaround. That has reminded me of the need to spend more time into consideration and then just make a decision after consideration. Has what you've learned about moving from idea to action impacted things in your relationship with your wife? Do you have any anecdotes about that? In terms of my relationship with Delia, you know, this has been a surprising and delightful turn of events in my life. One of the important things was to realize that we both got children and grandchildren. We both have uh, property and other assets. We decided that we were running separate finances. So it provides sort of independence for each of our families. And she's very happy with that arrangement, and I'm happy with it. It, it works very well. It's great. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's one aspect of it. The other one is that we just so appreciate the small things that we're each able to do for the other. You know, life is not about the big gestures. It's about this day-to-day living. It's about caring and generosity and giving and receiving gracefully. And that is, that's what makes such a joyful relationship. That's great. Given what you've learned here at Influence Ecology, what advice do you have for someone who is highly analytical, very, very intelligent? There's, there's a lot of people, by the way, all of the different personalities that we study have different traits. And many of the inventors or judges have traits in which they get caught up in their own analysis. In other words, they, they sometimes suffer from a paralysis of analysis. And given what you've learned about personality, what would your advice be to someone who tends to agonize over making decisions or tends to get too caught up in their own thinking? If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. Well, my first advice would be find someone you can trust and talk things through with so that you get this out of your own head and start expressing your ideas because when you express them, they coalesce, they get form and substance, and the very act of communicating them helps you to clarify them. And then... Listen to what the other people say. I know that this is a strange notion for me, listening to other people. It's probably one of my, my <laughs> worst failings in life is that I don't listen and I don't listen and I don't listen. But do ask, do invite feedback and then 
sit back and listen to what other people have to say to you. And if possible, find a mix of different types of personality types, people with different outlooks on life, people with different relations. As someone who lives in his head with his ideas, I do appreciate the role of the producer that gets things done and forms alliances and can enroll people in, in achieving the task. Because I, working as a team leader, that's that's a lot of what I have to do. But the people that can crystallize and sell ideas, the performers, I need them. I need to know, look, how can, is this idea any good? And if it is, how can I get this across to other people? And then, of course, the people that take an objective look at things, the judges of the world, get their opinion as well. They will be quite negative, but if you can get into a maybe, then that's pretty good. Very, very, very good. I accept that advice. I think that's great advice. At the last conference in Ojai, California, in January of 2017, it was watching you participate in the game mm-hmm. of the conference. And there's a part of the game where we have the team leaders in the room select their teams. And I was watching you specifically during a time where people were selecting and for those who don't know the game, people are being picked. I think I heard someone say Sandlot style. <laughs> I'm not sure I've heard the term before, but I think that means like it was when we were kids and, you know, somebody would pick this person and that person and nobody ever wanted to be the last person picked for whatever that might mean about you. And I was watching you because I wanted to know what was going on or I was curious about what was going on for you because I think that uh, I know you weren't one of the first people picked. You were towards a little bit of the latter part of the the picking, and I was wondering what was going on for you about that. What did you learn from that, as many people learn from that particular exercise? I guess there's a little bit of marketing, because we all had an opportunity to get up and, and knowing a little bit about the game to push ourselves for what we could offer, and uh, I just missed an opportunity there. I can sing and I can perform, so <laughs> I just didn't bring that <laughs> up. <laughs> So I understand what it was like for you. What did you learn about your own transactional competence at that moment? Well, one of the things I became aware of later is that some people had transacted in advance, had formed alliances. Some of the leaders had actually taken it the other way and pre-selected their teams during the break. I'd missed a couple of opportunities there. But the real thing was that ultimately, this doesn't matter all that much. Wherever I end up, I'm sure I can contribute in some effective manner. And then when I was in the group, well, there was at least one person who had, if you like, industry experience and was looked to by the team leader to pull things together. In many ways, I just acted as a mentor to one or two other people. I was able to support them to make that better. In some ways, that I felt was an effective uh, way for me to demonstrate what, what I could do. Did you have any thought to offer your economic smarts? The game is kind of a virgin of Shark Tank, and oftentimes it comes down to numbers. And Sure, I worked with a guy who was doing the financial projections and helped him to put all that together. I put forward some ideas and figures, and you know, I have a gut feel for these things. So I said, hey, look, I think you can do this and that. And then uh, when we worked it through, it was pretty close to what was realistic. So I think in many ways it was helping other people to discover what they could do in that area. Well, I was interested in interviewing you for the podcast because of a commitment that I have to call on a variety of people and a variety of views and skill sets and things like that. I remember when I extended the invitation, you seemed genuinely surprised that I had 
invited you. I really did want to include you in this because there is a particular kind of role you play in our ecology. And there's a way that some people may struggle with their own personality, their specific and unique transactional behavior, and wonder how and where it fits in transactions. And you exemplify, I'll say, the really, really smart kid who gets picked last on the playground. And all of us want to be, when we're kids, picked first on the playground, you could say. But that's not always the best fit for all kinds of different transactions. So I, I think in America, we oftentimes have some sort of television show where the kids are now <laughs> at their 10th or 15th or 20th year reunion, and the jocks are all fat losers, and the smart kids are all the rich people. My experience of you is that you're that we don't get enough of you and your intelligence and your skill sets and your savvies. And I wanted to shine a light on them and contribute them to people because I think there's something that you have that's extraordinary to contribute to people, obviously to governments and to economics and the way that people live their lives. But for anybody like you, for any of the smart kids on the playground or for any of the smart people, they struggle with a variety of things. And and I love some of what you said because the smart people sometimes aren't socially skilled, especially the inventors. They're in their head. They live in their head. They live in their ideas. They live in the puzzles they're constantly solving in their mind and may struggle to produce a kind of social identity that other people might recognize as friendly and outgoing and all that kind of stuff. Having said all of that, anything you want to comment about? There was a time when I was seen by people as almost threatening, overbearing, totally dominant. Mm. Things had to be my way. And almost like I, I would rather not interact with people. Uh, or if I did, it was in a formal kind of way in a business environment where we all knew our relative positions and some people would call the shots and other people would, would follow. But my scientific training has given me this skepticism. That may be true, but let's test it. And in some ways, if you apply that to my life, you know, it was a shock to me when my, my first wife and I split up and a lot of it was through my social failings. And, and it was like, hey, this is a wake-up call. I've something got to change here. So I became more engaged with other people and took a greater interest in other people and listen more to other people's experiences in some ways began that process of socialization that many people do during their teenage years when i spent five years at a single sex boarding school or even at university i yeah i participated in a lot of things but i wasn't really that engaged with people there's room in this world for people of all types and there's nothing wrong with being a kind of a nerd someone who's who's a bit withdrawn, a bit of an observer, doesn't necessarily say a lot. But these people aren't going to make the first move. They're going to wait to be picked rather than pick themselves. They may be competitive in a structured environment where they, they know what, what the rules are and what the framework is, but they're not going to be pushy in an open situation with, where there's a hundred other people they don't know that well. I would comment that I, I actually have a reputation of being able to deal with very difficult and demanding counterparts who uh, expect far more than the project is contracted to deliver and being able to find ways to 
satisfy them and provide some of what they want alongside what is formally contracted for so that everyone ends up being happy. And to accept that they get upset and angry about things when they don't go their way, they live in a different culture, they're often a more of a command and control type environment, and, and to listen to what they say and take it away and go back with suggestions and recommendations and solutions. Now, that's a far more socially aware situation than I'd have ever been able to handle in my 20s and 30s. And that's what I offer when I, people ask for me to take a role as team leader. I will expect to lead the team in the field and handle and resolve all those challenges of day-to-day interactions and relationships within the team, between the team and the, and the client and so on. That's great. Well, you just spoke to what I think is at the heart of the opportunity that you and I have here, and that is to really point out the extraordinary value of differing kinds of people. And it is my commitment in fluent ecology, first and foremost, that people begin a journey and start to understand other personalities. That's kind of step one, you could say. I can empathize with the other personalities. I can, in my transactions, account for the other personalities and the way in which those people think and move and their philosophical view and so forth. But if I take that empathy out to culture, or country, then I have to begin to question where I myself, as a human being, where I myself am blind to or naive to my inclusion of certain people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on the playground and I'm picking people for my team. If I'm going to play the game and be really smart about the game, I may tend to pick people who I've thought more accurately about as opposed to picking the popular kids or picking the people who are loud or gregarious or those kinds of things. And so, again, I think that's our opportunity here is to really point to those different personalities and the opportunity of them. And I've been watching you for a while and and I have a deep respect for your intelligence and what you do and what you provide and so that's why I reached out to you and wanted to make sure that you were included in this uh, very public conversation because I think you have a lot to provide. Thank you, John. I'm not sure what to say at this stage, but uh, <laughs> it is great. It is great <laughs> well, to have an opportunity. Yeah. I've listened to some, but not all, of the other podcasts, and everyone has incredible experiences and capabilities and contributes to the world in a different way. And uh, I just hope that my modest contribution both in the day-to-day life and uh, within the psychology, uh, is of value to other people. That's great. Well, Michael, it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I know you've had many decades of practice doing what you do, and I appreciate your leadership and your skill and your competence, and uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, John. In our Guru Talk, as I said, we listen in on a webinar classroom co-led by myself and co-founder Kirkland Tibbles. We address how we sometimes think we'll look weak if we ask for help, and how, in fact, the opposite is quite true. Here's the talk. Ask for referral. If there is one thing that I hear repeatedly across the board in terms of the efforts that our customers and most people who attempt to engage in the marketplace that they need to work on, it is asking for referrals. 
Influence Ecology does not have a problem asking for referrals. We are happy to ask for referrals. It is part of the makeup of this company to ambitiously move to make invitations, and a form of invitation is to our current vendors and our current relationships, our current customers. Our most satisfied customers are the best qualified folks to help us, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Invent transactions, invent your invitations, invent your offers, move ambitiously to remind people that you need referrals. One of the things I'd love to add about that is we often lead our programs with our own aims in mind. It would be silly in a transaction for me to not transact for my aims, just as you are transacting for your aims. So we lead and transact for our aims. And in our offer, we transact for our aims as you do in yours. And so we don't have any problem talking about that we want your referrals. We don't have any problem talking about that we're in this for the money. And we don't have any problem talking about any of that kind of stuff. And I bring that up because it is common for people to pretend they don't have aims. Or forget to consider that some of us like you, John, like I often, we have our own concerns in mind at the same time. Yep. I have a young man in the movie business who just ran into at one of our events and conversation got around and to how their business is doing. And, and it basically ended up saying something, John, to me like, I'm kind of surprised you don't have anybody in mind for us. And I just thought, <laughs> one of the things that I don't do when I wake up in the morning is to Think about you and your concerns. I, I love you. I like the hell out of you. But, you know, it's just not on my priority list. And so if you don't remind me from time to time, and especially if you give off an attitude that you don't need help, how in the world are your ecologies going to be able to help you through osmosis or through mind reading? <laughs> and I basically said something like that. And I went, my crystal ball is broken. And my mind reading techniques have really gotten rusty at my mm. age. And because we transact in this ecology, we remind each other all the time the marketplace is indifferent to your concerns. So I let my friends know, I don't wake up with your aims in mind, but I'm happy to hear the invitations that you need to make. But if you are one of those people who runs around acting rich, mm. if you're someone who runs around like you've got it all together all the time, and the attitudes and the moods that you are producing are you don't need help and you don't ask for help, how in the world are the ecologies supposed to know you need help? It's something that the current produces in the everyday activity that you are somehow supposed to have it all together. Never let anybody know that you are vulnerable or that you need help. Don't ask for help. That's some kind of sign of weakness. But i got to tell you, that's the exact opposite of it. It's silly to think that you've got everything all together. And I recognize immediately what happened when he said what he said. And I've got some folks and, in fact, I'm happy to help where I can. I, I'm actually a really great source of help. But there is no concern on the mind of the average adult when they wake up in the morning for your needs and wants. And that is why I always want to take a moment and if this gets away from us, I hope you'll remind us. We appreciate and we are so grateful for the opportunity to help you satisfy your needs and wants through this education by helping those with whom you engage on a regular basis do the same thing. We need your help. We need your referrals. 
we're on a bit of a, a run right now, and John and I are not taking it for granted. We're pouring gasoline all over everything we think that's got anything like a remotely approaching a spark. We're doing great, and it is because of the help that we're getting, and we thank you for it. And in the same time, we want to remind you that if you're not on a regular day, daily, almost daily basis, practicing, asking for referrals, getting better and better and better at it, you are making a mistake. I don't care how together you got it. When things are good, that's a great time to ask for referrals. When things are bad, it's a great time to ask for referrals. If the sun up, it's a great time to ask for referrals. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes, and let us know what you think. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guests for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Episode producer, editor, and music supervisor is Jason Kelly. Podcast, copy, and show notes, editing, and links by Carol Gregory.